tell me what you're doing here. Let's flip a coin. As I tell you tales, we go out on a date. <laughs> Warning, Otaku contains adult language and discussion. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. <laughs> it's over 9,000! All right, everybody out there in Rain Man Digital Land, this is a, another episode of Otaku. And this is actually a really special one. So, first off, I am your ever-loving giant ginger-bearded host, Gregory Darkside Holmes. And in the studio today, we have David Sabal. Ohio. We have Reina. Mushy, mushy. All right. And, of course, always our fearless leader, maybe worrisome leader a bit, Mike Flores. How you doing, Mike? Hi! Who apparently is very high-pitched today. But, like I said, today is a special episode of Otaku. Uh, normally, guys, we come at you with a few show reviews. You know, we go three shows, two shows and a movie. Uh, this show, I wanted to go over what I would think is a uh, veritable piece of, of anime mastery that is definitely one of the films I would always recommend to somebody getting into anime that they should watch. And that is the film Akira. So quickly to start off. Um, David, have you you've seen Akira, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you times. watched it before this, obviously, but you've seen it before that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I saw it a long, long time ago. The, the, Akira was like pretty much where uh, one of the first true animated movies I've ever saw. So you've seen it. And it's, it's, uh, would you agree that it's a classic? Absolutely. It, it's, it, it has to be a milestone of not just anim, anime, but of filmmaking. Because yeah. like it's it, it is one of those movies that's inspired so many other sci-fi films. Well, not just, I mean not only sci-fi, but everything you know, sci-fi. I think the action horror. It's action horror. It's, it's, I think it. it's inspired a lot just based on a few different parts of it, which we'll go over here on the show. And Mike, you you've seen it here before before this show, correct? Oh yeah, I've seen it many times. Has been about uh, up until today about fifteen years. I would also agree with you that it's definitely an anime that you would recommend to someone because it shows the mature side of anime minus all the rapey stuff sometimes or the (laughs) over sexualized moments that sometimes happen in anime. Like, for example, I don't really recommend Ghost in the Shell right away to someone new or Ninja Scroll because it's going to take people by surprise. Yeah, this is more of one of those like where it's like a very story oriented anime that it doesn't go too far like those other ones. It or feels like shows. an 80s rated R film. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it has the gore, has the nudity, but it's not too over the top to where you're like, what the fuck did I, did I get myself into? This is a good gateway drug. You know, like, hey, listen, just here's a little flavor. Here's a taste. And uh, there's more. There's more coming. And then, yeah. Reina, have you, I remember talking to you a little bit earlier today. So you've seen this before, correct? We've yes. just kind of rounded out. Okay, perfect. So. We've all seen this. I remember for me when I saw it, I was around 11 or 12. Wow. (laughs) And this is back again when uh, there was Blockbuster. You know, Blockbuster didn't really rate anime. They just put it all in one section and didn't matter what you grabbed. They're like, it's a cartoon. It's from Japan. So it can't be that bad. It's imported. Blockbuster ruining adolescence one little mind at a time. (laughs) I don't think they ruined adolescence. I think that it warped me um, because I I got introduced to it in such an early age. Um, that like really later on when I saw really fucked up anime, I'm just like, oh, okay. Well, it, right. it doesn't affect you anymore. Yeah, so it's just, it's it, like it, me. It, it just, we're not going to get into you, Dave. You're, you, you were desensitized by age seven. So we're just going to. When those guys ripped the uh, woman's shirt off when you were 10 years old, what did you think? Did your penis move at all? I, I was more scared of my parents watching, coming in and seeing like 
nudity around. Yeah, and they'd be like what yeah. the fuck is this because like it was a cartoon i'm like and i was like oh shit i didn't know they did this in cartoons and i'm just like and i'm thinking like so i'm like what else is gonna happen and then they hit her and i'm like oh shit oh shit like, what am i watching and then it went and, on i was just like and that's when uh, greg's fetishes began <laughs> <laughs> oh my god boobs and slapping oh my god i didn't know this was actually a combination <laughs> you mean people do this together <laughs> Is this what sex is like? Is this why I hear mommy yell at night? Oh my god, this is so great. Is this why daddy wears a mouth guard? Oh, what the fuck? Um, is this why mom says she falls down the staircase when she has a black eye? Oh my I, don't, I don't know. Oh my <laughs> All right, so to Mike. start off with a little bit of history of, <laughs> there's there's the, the the admonishment from Marina, like, God damn it, Mike, too far. Tony's not here, so somebody has to, I guess. So. Um, but to give a little backstory with uh, Akira, uh, it's a Japanese cyberpunk manga series that was written and illustrated by Katsuhiro Otomo. Uh, it was serialized in the pages of Young Magazine. To give a quick idea to the listener who doesn't know, uh, you know, what Young Magazine is. Uh, in Japan, they don't release the manga in individual serialized books uh, just that way. Yeah. They have weekly magazines that come out that, you know, are either for, you know, they're all shown in boy based um, you know, there's certain themed books. Uh, this one was a uh, Sanin manga magazine, so it had a bunch of different stuff in it. Um, yeah, and it ran- you get like sci fi books, and then you get like a chapter of it. Yeah, you get one chapter, and every week a new chapter comes out, and then normally they'll collect it at the end or they'll put it out um, once it finishes. But this ran in that magazine from 1982 until 1990. Yep. And then when it was collected, it went into six volumes that was published by Godansha between 84 and 91. I remember those those original volumes were hella expensive. Oh, yeah. And in the United States, it was published by Marvel Comics, oddly enough, yep. uh, under the Epic Comics line or imprint. Imprint. Uh, it became one of the first mangas ever translated or to be completely translated into English. And now currently in North America, it's, it's published again by uh, Godansha Comics. Um, Otomo's art is considered outstanding and uh, a watershed for both uh, Otomo and the manga form. So, again, when we say like this is a like a highly recommended anime and also a highly recommended manga, this manga and film did a lot to really kind of, I would say, maybe break through, start breaking anime into the West. Oh yeah, for sure. Like this, a lot of film historians and anime enthusiasts will definitely point to Akira as the piece that showed the world what animated movies can be. Yeah. That's kind of when the craze started for many people in America was with the international success of Akira. No, no, it was, sorry. I was, I was taking a drink. I was, I was trying not to. It set a pretty high bar right out the gate though. Honestly. Yeah, I know. How far have we fallen? (laughs) How far have we, but there's, you know, with this, there's something, you know, you can, I would hold this up. At the same level, if maybe not a little bit more than than as like Blade Runner for really kind of yeah taking that cyberpunk um, and 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 making it its own and not kind of just being that typical like oh it's the future oh we have like little punk rock elements and like oh like this ooh and that but it captured a lot of uh, like political uh, heat or political you know fervor for what it, it this story was yeah, yeah if i didn't know better i mean it's well first off it's very timely it, it the fact that 
you're you're talking about a movie that was made in the 80s. It just kind of makes you depressed a bit because things just don't change. Yeah. Like you're like, what the fuck? We're dealing with something from the 80s and you're seeing elements of today's world. Today's world. Yeah. Well, and even when he, you know, throughout throughout the chapters and everything um, before it was adapted in 1988 to the animated film. Uh, Otomo used the conventions of the cyberpunk genre and he detailed the saga of political turmoil, which we're obviously experiencing today. Social isolation, oddly enough, experiencing today. That's okay. I like like isolation. Corruption and power. So again, it's It's stuff that's that's timely. It's still, you can watch this now and still be like, wow, that is shit. Like he was touching on this stuff back in, you know, 19, starting in 1982. And today it's still, it's still relevant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, if you look at the ideology of Tetsuo the, behind that character, he resonates so much nowadays with a lot of people nowadays. I mean, if you look at him, just the characters by themselves, they each still represent something that's very timely today. Yeah. You need, and it, 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 they're not like they're typical. I would say they're, they're typical character stereotypes. Stereotypes. But the fact is that with the artwork and Otomo's writing, they're also well-defined yeah. and the way he progresses the narrative in the manga is, is great. I mean, six, I mean, it goes over six volumes, but I mean, it, it, it covers everything from fucking, you know, beginning to end. Yeah. And with the animated film, he also took over directing. So he crossed over from being a manga artist and a writer to not only write the screenplay, but also to direct the animated adaptation of his, comic or his com- manga and the amazing part is if you were to watch this anime because i saw this anime before i read the manga the manga is so much more there is a there's so much more story that well, he left out well two books focus on akira, akira himself which we'll get into his that character as i use air quotes um k who's tetsuo who ends up becoming kaneda's love interest yep um, she has two volumes all on herself. Uh, Tetsuo and Kaneda each get one. So he spans all of this in six volumes, which I want to see what it was like coming out in that in Young Magazine, like back in the day, how it was coming out, how like it all progressed, and just how he was able to like get that out week to week. Because you're thinking. What, 10, 12 pages for a chapter? No, even shorter, because I remember when it first came out, I actually started reading it when it was in a different magazine. I forgot the name of the magazine, but it was a Japanese magazine that was for boy comics, because I remember it being also side-by-side with Dragon Ball. And at the time, I'm reading this story, and I'm only getting like six pages max. Of the entire of the entire story, and I remember as basically at that time a very getting into comics and getting into anime. This story had me so captivated from page one, and it was amazing. When now, when I think about it nowadays, six pages, and just like you said, it encapsulated six volumes at the end, and you don't feel it. I don't. I never really realized how much I was reading during that time. Right. Well, and even nowadays. Um, and after this, I'll pose. I'll pose this question as well to Tarina and Mike. For me, like reading a manga series, like nowadays, because they they come out in in volumes, in big volumes, now. in big volumes. I remember when Death Note was coming out. 
and I was buying each volume from Shonen Jump. Yeah. And I remember waiting and like, I remember getting the, the book the day it came out when I worked at Atomic Comics, going home and reading it that night and then being done with it early, you know, AM and thinking, shit, I got to wait two, three more months. till the next one comes out mm-hmm. and stories like that and stories like, like, Akira, it, it pulls you in. And so like Raina and Mike, are, are there other series besides, I mean, obviously if you've read the, the manga for Akira, like did it have the same effect as the film or is there another manga series that you read that that's kind of the same thing that you, it just pulled you in and you just had to keep reading. For me, it was Devil Man. And wow, I did not expect Devil Man out of Reina. That's well. The funny part is Devil Man. If you actually read the manga, there's a lot going on, and you get sucked right in. Oh yeah, well I yeah, mean the, the show the show in. itself is is fucking busy as it is. So yeah. I can only imagine what the the weirdest part when when I had to go back and rethink about Akira as it is. The weirdest part about Akira. It it wasn't kind of like that what Raina said, like with Devil Man, it sucks you in with the action and with the gore and all that. Akira, mm-hmm. for some strange reason, the, the story itself is what drags you in. Yeah. Because you're seeing all these people and how they're in how they're like connected, but it's almost kind of like you start feeling like I'm that character. Right. I would uh, I I literally by the end of there, there have been times when I read it, I was like, going, "Yeah, Tetsuo is right." I'm like Tetsuo. I'm tired of the world. The world is world's fucked up. It needs to be shaken apart. Or Kaneda, who are basically like, "Hey, I'm just living right now, and I'm happy the way I am." Right. And you start, but it's and that's a thing. That's what we've all kind of touched on in the way that it's timeless. Is that at one point in the film you agree with Tetsuo, at another point in the film you agree with Kaneda, Kaneda. and at other point. You agree with, you know, like the military and some things that they say. Yeah. And, you know, kind of going against the corrupt power and then wanting, you know, and then the overall theme of people wanting the world to to be cleansed in, in the sense. And so with with the film. So the film uh, came out in 1988. Uh, like I said, Katsuhiro Otomo wrote and directed the film production had a budget of 700 million yen or in the US it's 5.5 million dollars that made it the most expensive anime film at the time until it was surpassed a year later by Kiki's Delivery Service. Yes. Now think of that back in 1988, 700 million yen to make that animated film. That's a typical like that 5.5 million, that's what a drop on the hat nowadays for some films. Oh, nowadays, yeah. That's that's considered maybe low budget for and, some films these days. I mean, look at look at the Pixar movies. The Pixar movies are at least what do you think, Mike? Like fifty million. Uh, more than that. Now that you're having big name top talent coming in to do voiceover work, so you're 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 probably getting close to like the hundred million. Yes, right. easily. And and but and you look at some of those films that they do okay, but they're not like they're not timeless like this one. Yeah, there's there's very few that I maybe would say would be close to being timeless, but they would have again. It has to see how they stay on the test of time like this. Mm-hmm. Has and also the- how many of them are relevant. And that's that's why this has stood the test of time, because Akira is relevant. It's political in all the right ways. The fact that you mentioned, you know, how every how one moment you empathize with one group of characters and then the others, because that's reality. That's real life. Everyone has a perspective. Everyone has a point of view. 
And for the most part, unless you're a complete asshole, you can kind of understand if you try, you can kind of understand everyone else's perspective on things. So, I mean, this is just a very symbolic portrayal of Tokyo post World War Post the World War Two environment after the bomb, it's it's very obvious, you know, from the first few minutes when you have that massive nuclear explosion and you get this 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 look into Tokyo over the next 30 years where they become a hub of technological advancement and a breeding ground for new businesses and capitalist opportunities. So you're getting a real depiction of what happened post World War Two how Japan never managed to fully recover and become what they were. They became a second United States filled with greed, giant gaps between rich and poor classism, where the government becomes full of self-interest opposed to the service of the people. And I'm not saying the government system was, was perfect, but it did change the culture after world war two. So, with the film, the film again kind of it wasn't all this. It wasn't all six volumes put in the one. It was there's a few changes to these things taken out. Obviously, probably for time and and for for budget. Uh, but the film is set in dystopian 2019. Okay, now it's kind of that's kind of fucking weird. Uh, it tells the story of Kaneda, who is leader of a biker gang with his childhood friend Tetsuo. After an accident, Tetsuo acquires incredible tele- telekinetic abilities that ends up eventually threatening an entire military complex amidst chaos and rebellion in the sprawling futuristic metropolis of Neo-Tokyo, which became, spawned after an initial event. So the initial event that you see at the beginning of the film is, is Akira. Is Akira. And that explosion, or what he does, sets off World War Three. Three. So this is kind of a more like futuristic, like, okay, well, we've had World War Three, and, you know, it seems like, I don't want to say Japan caused it, but essentially somebody in Japan caused it because of their, they couldn't control their telekinetic abilities uh most of the character designs and settings were adapted from the manga the plot differs considerably and does not include much of the last half of the manga itself uh the music for the film draws heavily from traditional indonesian game i don't want a game i want to say gamelan but uh, game land is what it looks like uh, as well as traditional japanese no music uh which is composed by shoji yamashiro and then it's performed by uh gaino yama Yamashiro Gumi. I butchered that person's name. I am so fucking sorry. If they end up listening to this, I am really sorry. I tried. I really did. Uh, It premiered in July 6, 1988 uh, in Japan by Toho. Mm -hmm. And as recent following years uh, in the United States by pioneering animation distributor Streamline Pictures. Uh, It's garnered a cult following. It's had various theatrical and UVHS releases, uh, eventually earning over 80 million wide worldwide in home video sales and that's now, just amazing for that film alone because i remember in 2001 they released i think the anniversary edition yeah um or in 2000 is the anniversary edition um but it was like a pioneer, it was a pioneer dub they announced it uh and i because i remember that anime expo and i bought it even though i already had a copy at home but i bought it because it came in a nice you know steel box uh had a bunch of extra shit uh i had it for a long time then you know you seven eight years ago my apartment got broken into and all my shit got taken <laughs> oh, you guys, so really hope whoever has it you're fucking enjoying it you piece of shit <laughs> they probably hawked it yeah. they probably shit? did stupid fuck oh it's a kid's cartoon <laughs> yeah fuck exactly this. but it's widely regarded will yeah exactly fuck 
It was right next to your Disney collection. Like, what a child. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> like, fuck this. They saw all the cartoons, like, what the fuck? Does this guy have a kid? I don't see any, like, pictures of a fucking kid. Like, what the fuck? He must, be, he yeah. must be slow. Yeah. <laughs> slow. Slow adult. He probably doesn't get laid, so let's take all this shit. He's probably going to cry himself to death. <laughs> Jeez. I didn't say anything about death. <laughs> I did. I don't, you know. Uh, but it's highly regarded as one of the greatest animated and science fiction films ever made. I think we can all agree on that. I don't think that's oh, absolutely. an issue that's going to be argued. Well, uh, I would agree. And I, it's really hard to disagree because when you look at the movies that people say were inspired by Akira, I mean, you have movies like obviously Ghost in the Shell, Battle Angel, Cowboy Bebop, um, and then you have live action films like the matrix yeah uh inception the dark knight looper these are all dark city which fucking is amazing that's a great film on its own yeah Yeah. there are so many films that have been inspired by akira that have tried to copy that tone of the original one too because like when i actually the weirdest thing by far when i rewatched it just recently to get ready for the show it's really haunting. It sticks with you still. No, and that's and, and and it's weird. When I today when I messaged Raina to get her email to send her the notes, we she even commented that it's great for nowadays because of the political climate that's going on. And yeah. I didn't really think of that when I chose this. I chose this because I absolutely love this film and I think it'd be it was gonna be, it'd be, it's, it was gonna make for a great show. But even that, it's it's true based on what's going on now. Like yeah. it's just from everything that's going on, you can pull similarities. You can kind of pull that, that feeling, that tension, that, you know, overbearing, you know, dread that the film kind of brings in certain points. And even now the divisiveness as well. Divisiveness. Yeah. But it's still it, with, even with all of that, it doesn't, it's not like me and you discussed about grave of the fireflies, how, that's utterly super depressing. It's super depressing, right? This one, it just captivates you and just holds on to you, but it doesn't make you depressed. It's almost kind of like, for me, when I rewatch it, I'm like, like, this film is like the perfect film to show students and kind of have that, like, this is a warning. This is a warning to you, okay? Look what happened. This is a possibility. Yeah. Well, it's it's also one of those ones where you can watch as well. Whether you're making live action films, you're making comics, whether you're making you want to make video games, or even you know you want to go into two D animation, it's one of those films you can watch and pull scenes from pull to be scenes. like, that's great. I mean, I remember I first time I watched this, and Kaneda showed up on his bike. You know, I was eleven or twelve. I figured this type of technology was gonna be was gonna happen by the time I could fucking drive. <laughs> I was, I was like, like, all right, 2000, want, 2019, I'll, right? be, I'll be 38 years old. All right. I'm like, I want this fucking bike. Who didn't? You know, and I started and I and I would, you know, for years up until I graduated high school, I kept checking like because people were building prototypes on their own and like. Really? You know, yeah. Oh, they, yeah. Like, and I think one guy got got a working prototype, but he said the cost to make the one he had was just astronomical. Yeah, and I was just like, "Damn it!" And my dreams were dashed. Did he get any hot anime chicks? No, girlfriend? the closest I got to it, I got to actually having that bike was the McFarland figure, so. <laughs> the little statue. Yeah, I got close, you know. So I had that um, because, according to Akira, girls like guys with bikes. Yeah, yeah. I, I was yeah. like, "Damn!" The figure, the figure doesn't really pull. Uh, didn't really pull 
uh, chicks. Let's, let's so, like, I, I got a miniature bike, yo. You know, a model. You want to come over and watch? We'll, hang, we'll hang out, and I'll show you my anime figure collection. One sixteenth scale. <laughs> and then maybe, and then maybe after. <laughs> a condom bike? Wait, what? Tandem. You know what a tandem bike oh, is? Oh, I was like, I, was like, like I heard tandem, and he goes, condom bike? I'm like, I maybe didn't hear it. Maybe I didn't is hear it. Is that a thing? So. How does it work? Are you fucking serious? <laughs> you you pedal really fast and... Uh... <laughs> Just tandem bike. No, I, like know, I know. I know. <laughs> I don't know, Mike. Yeah. You're sounding like child here. Like I have to explain it to you. I um. Can you explain to me how to put a condom on? That's that's what I'll <laughs> talk about. Condom bike. No, I do want to know more about the condom bike now. <laughs> that'll that'll be. We'll have to research hentai for that one because there's probably one out there with a condom bike. So. <laughs> Would you be surprised? No, I already know there's one. There's one about the exactly. bicycle fairy. So, oh yeah. my. How the fuck does Greg just pull the perfect hentai for this occasion? Like, oh yeah, there's one. Uh, there's one with a condom yeah, bike. Actually, because I don't, because so the hentai site Faku was. Oh the, I, know, I know. Is it really called? <laughs> yes, that? it is. Yeah. yes, it is. And I know the guy who started it because he would come out to Phoenix Comic Con as a guest, and we became friends. And is one he year, a creep. No, I, no, he's not. He's actually not. <laughs> He's all uh, normal. He is. He is. <laughs> he, used so to, he, used to, he used to be web developer for Gearbox Entertainment, like working on fucking shit, like the websites for Borderlands and all their fucking games. Wow. And so there's one called the Bicycle Fairy, yes. where a dude sees a girl that he likes and he wants to bang, and she's always riding her bike around, you know, the the park. So he, <laughs> she loses her bike. He shows up dressed up as a bike, and yes. essentially. For him to go, for him, for like the bike to work, she essentially rides and fucks him at the same time. Oh, exactly. So one year at Phoenix, at, at Phoenix Comic Con, I made a bet to the entire crowd at one of the panels because I always sat in on that it. That a hot them. chick wouldn't ride you like a no, bike? No, no. That if somebody showed up, I, and I literally thought nobody would do this. If you show up as the bicycle fairy, dressed as the bicycle fairy next year within the rules of Phoenix Comic Con cosplay, then I would give you free tickets for the following year. One person <laughs> literally spend that entire year losing i think about a hundred pounds to Ow. do to do the costume yeah to do the costume and he goes afterwards because he won i mean he's only showed up so he would won anyways he won and then afterwards he said hey man that dare really pushed me to like you know get, he goes <laughs> i'm not i'm not fucking around he goes that pushed me to get back in shape just to do this Oh, look, look at Greg. You see the power like, of hentai, Mike? Changing you people's lives. And I go, really? He goes, yeah, man. Like, and also, like, you're always like really like you guys are always really fun to watch. And like, it just he's like, it motivated goes to me. What I've been saying, wanna, people, porn inspires the world. That needs to be a story in the next um, men's fitness. <laughs> How I inspired a man to lose about a hundred pounds is because he liked hentai. And he the, wanted to become a bike so that most, he could be ridden like a stallion. Most of those readers wouldn't even wait. If you dress. Okay, hold on, Dave. <laughs> I'm not going to let this one go. If you dress up as a bike, you're dressing up to be road. road. Thank you. Road <laughs> as a bike, not road as oh, a stallion. Oh, you know, that's true. Sorry. Because then he would dress up as a stallion. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to ride this hard bike like a stallion. Wet. But that will uh, that that rest. Oh God! So the bicycle fairy story, the bicycle fairy episode itself, will be coming down the line when we do a hentai episode. I kind of want to review that now, um, dude. It's awesome. Faku? Yeah, it's easy to find. Just, yeah, Faku F A F A K K U dot net. Is it a ten speed bike? Okay, I did one K. It's two Ks. <laughs> um. 
So back to Akira. <laughs> uh, so I guess it'd be right. Because we got off track by hentai and a bicycle fairy. It, it, I think every show we get off track because of hentai. Yeah. So we have to do hentai. So show we have now, to do a hentai show. Yeah, because the entire show will be a clusterfuck then. Yeah. Uh, I got about five minutes in and I came and then I was done. So <laughs> it was good then. It was good. Um. But anyways, like we've said with Akira. That's how we review it. How many times we came. No, it's I'd, be like, I'd be like Quagmire, Quagmire in the uh, Family Guy episode where he shows right, up. We're, not, we're done with hentai. We're done with hentai. <laughs> we changed the RMD score for, specifically for right. that discussion only. Five, five stains means it was the best. Uh, stains? I can't be on this episode. I don't know how to rate it. <laughs> so five, five squirts, Raina. There. Gotcha. Oh, don't pretend. <laughs> God, um, go, I'm already going to hell, so I might as well just keep racking up my points. So maybe I can buy a home by the Lake of Fire. So, <laughs> Jesus, that's it. Embrace it. Embrace. So, as I mentioned, to be at the start of the show, and as we we're going over the history of the film and the manga, that Katsuhiro Otomo wrote the screenplay and directed the film as well. He's also yeah. worked on screenplays for other other films, such as Steam Boy. He worked on the segment in the. Uh, what would you call it? The anthology film Memories. He did the segment yes. one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he worked on Metropolis, which was based off of, uh, oh, shit, um, creator of Astro Boy. I can't remember. All oh, shit. Right now. Uh, and Stink Bomb, which is another short in Memories. Yep. And actually, apparently, the newly announced uh, Accurate TV series. Yeah. And, and also, if I'm not correct, some of his oh, earlier Tezuka, works. That's who wrote Metropolis. There we go. Oh. And some of his earlier works, he did Robot Carnival. He did he direct, actually, well. He directed the segment in Robot Carnival. Yeah. Actually, he directed two, which was coming soon, and see you again. Yes. So, wait a second. You mentioned that there's an Akira TV show they're, coming. They're, they're, they, it looks like it's, it's in production. Okay. They haven't done much of it, so I'm wondering if animation any, or live action. Uh, it just said in production to give saves animation or live action because I know there's the there's the ever rumored uh, what DiCaprio live action yeah. that's in. Limbo or probably developmental hell. Yeah. Developmental yeah. hell now. But going on to the voice actors. So uh, with most of the characters, uh, there are two different, uh, du- two different voice actors for the dub uh, for, uh, for who was it? I didn't write the, for, te- for Tetsuo and uh, Kai or K. Uh, but for Kaneda, the Japanese voice was done by Mitsuo Itawa, who did, who also voiced uh, Kentaro Oe in Yay! Golden Boy. Yes, he did. Uh, he did the voice for Cyborg 008 and Bunma in Cyborg 009. He was also, and I'm not, this is how the name was spelled in IMDb, and I looked it up to make sure it's spelled this way. He did the voice for the character in D. Grayman called Aurastar Crowry. And I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that in a stereotypical yeah, that's way. So that's so how racist. it was fucking spelled. I swear to God. Piece of shit, no, Ray. fuck you. Look it up. That's how the character Negro Man is spelled. Crowley. That's how it's spelled. I looked at it. I'm like, no, no. Okay, so it's Alistair Crowley. And then I looked at it in the D. And I looked up a Negro Man wiki, and it fucking is spelled A R Y S T A R K R O R Y. Okay, I are you sure it's not Aristar? It might be, but it's supposed to be Alistair Crowley because when I looked at Aristar Curry, Curry. that's I see. This is I was like, no matter how you say it, it sounds racist. 
Yeah, yeah it exactly. Does. It doesn't matter. And then Alistair Crowley. <laughs> Alistair Crowley. And then he's done the he did the Wait, voices well, for Can you pronounce it again for us? Alistair Crowley, fuck you. <laughs> no, say it right. You, you gotta say it right. Aristar Crowley. <laughs> it would be a drop down. Fuck you, Mike. <laughs> Bastard. He did also did three voices or for three characters in Dragon Ball Super. He did Shanpa, Jurukoro, and Majora. And then the English version was done was voiced by Cam Clark, but he was listed as James Flinders. He did uh, Max Sterling and Lance. Who keeps moving this? Lance Sterling, Max Sterling and Lance Belmont in Robotech. Dirk Daring in G-Force. And actually, the latest thing is Con- he did the voices for Connor and Fred in Hero Mask. Yep. Uh, Tetsu- Tetsuo in the Japanese version was voiced by Nozumo Sasaki. He did the voice for Tao in the second uh, Fist of the North Star TV series. He did Mellow and Death Note. And recently he did Kagehisa Onotsu in the Blade of the Mortal anime. And then in 1989, when the film came out in America, Jan Rabson did the voice, uh, who also did, voiced Hootie and Professor Brighthead in G-Force, Guardians of Space. And then in the 2001 Pioneer version, it was voiced by Joshua Seth, who also voiced Tai Kamiya and Modimon in Digimon, uh, Shobu Kurofuda in Duel Masters, and he also voiced Cyborg 009 uh, and Joe Shimamura in Cyborg 009. And like with K, also had three voice actors. Uh, for the Japanese version, it was uh, Mami Koyama, who voiced Lunch and Arale Norimaki in Dragon Ball, and uh, Shizen Suzuki in Bang Dream. And also did the voice of Queen Serenity in Sailor Moon Crystal. Now, are all these big names, at least at that time, are you are you privy to that information? They weren't. I, whether they were big or not, the, a lot of these they went they went on to do like uh, like little vo- like extra additional voices. Okay, um, and then they would kind of do bigger shows. You know, kind of want to get a break on a bigger show, but then they would go on to do uh, a few like guest long guest appearances. Uh, I'm just wondering if they had. Like if, if this movie served as a bit of a career boost, I mean, it, because I believe, it, I believe for Iwata because Iwata was actually a big uh, voice actor at the did, time, and he was a singer. Yeah, he, was he a also he also did singer. a lot of stuff in mass in a common writer. He yes. did voices for I think characters and for like creatures or common writer when he was transformed. This mm-hmm. is before Akira. Yes. Or, yes. Okay. So if you wanted to actually say, did they have a big name for that time? Iwata in Japan was a relatively big name because he was in other, other famous franchises at the time, Mm -hmm. like the Cayman writer stuff. I know, I believe he did Ultraman a couple of times. I think he did. Yeah, he did. He did like additional voices. So he is, you could say he's a big name. So what's the biggest name to come out of Akira? Post Akira. Is it the director? Yeah, it has to be Otomo. Yeah. Yeah. Otomo is by far on that, on number one. And so with the English voices, a lot of these English voices are still doing stuff today. Um, oh, yeah. They've done stuff like video games, other shows, like they'll do additional voices. They'll do a character that, you know, is part of a story arc and then they move on. Uh, the English voice actress from 1989, uh, Lara Cody did the voice of Kay and she did uh, re- her most, her stuff after that, she did Yuki Sasamore in Kanokan, which I had never heard of. Uh, she also did Dr. Akins in Eagle Riders. And then um, she did Ratty in Viper GTS. 
which is also a hentai. That's a hentai. Damn. Um, so did, they can cross over like that? Yeah. She did two hentais. Um, one, another one was called, the other one she was in was called Angel Blade. So it doesn't. That's why that's familiar. <laughs> yes. So it's not like Hollywood movies and porn. There no. is no crossing over. If you go into porn, no. good luck no. trying to have a career in Hollywood. Some some voice actors will go and do, will do hentai or they started out doing hentai which is also in Japan, a lot of manga artists started out doing hentai, hentai. comics. Like they, somebody write the story and they would just draw it. And that's how they got kind of basically got into the industry. So it's not a taboo in the way of no. industry. No. Because no. like, you got to understand the culture is different and like, yeah, but- it's much like, like a lot of the pop idol singers and the J pop singers, you always see at least a couple of them also dabble in hentai. Yeah. Oh really? Then yeah. They'll do the, the voice, the, and that'll be like a selling point for the hentai. That'll like, be this. So and so is doing the voice of one of the main characters. I want to do a voice of like a giant dragon with like twenty dicks. I think I can do that. <laughs> I think. I think. I definitely would like to audition for that part. Jesus, a fire breathing dragon, a cum breathing dragon. Oh, I could do it. <laughs> All right. So, and then lastly, uh, Wendy Lee, who did the voice in the two thousand one Pioneer version. Also did the English voice for Kagero in Ninja Scroll and was also the English voice for Faye Valentine in Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, she's the if there's a big So name, out of the English voice actors, if there's the a English, big name to pick, she's the, she's, she's the main one. Because, yeah, because she, she jumped into other bigger franchises. Yeah. So, so big, you know, good voice acting cast. Uh, I'm not sure which version was on Funimation. Uh, whether it was the eighty one, the two thousand one, or the eighty nine uh, version, I think it's the eighty nine version. I, because I had the same one, I watched it on Hulu, and I don't even think it was remastered. I don't even think it was HD. No, they. I don't think they remastered no, it. They I don't think they've done like a uh, HD remaster. Wait a second, there's no Blu-ray of Akira. They put out a Blu-ray, but I don't think they remastered. I think they just yeah. put it out. They just so put it, it out for for streaming purposes. There's no there's no there's Blu-ray no, version. No. There's no Blu-ray version of Akira, which is. Why that is one of the big anime titles that everyone has constantly stated. They have to go back and remaster it. However, going back and remaster animation is a little difficult. Okay, so so hold on. You're telling me that all the this Blu-ray version here is simply a scan? Yeah. Yes. Wow. I can't believe a movie like this has not been. Yeah, it's one of the it's one of the most. It's one of the one of the animes that basically everyone says, why isn't this remastered? Because you always see remastering. But if I'm not, uh, from what I understand, remastering is not easy. No. It is. Well, especially for a film like this, because now uh, Funimation, I believe, has all the rights to it. Because it's streaming on their service. On and, their also, service. and they also have it out on Hulu because of their partnership there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they could just easily sell whatever, you know version they have on a dvd or blu-ray but could you imagine but, if they re- restored this to say 4k level oh oh that would be beautiful the but if they did it alone would be but amazing. if they if they did it if they went through and remastered it i think that I, I i would think they it would have they'd have to have more I would, I would want more with it i don't know if they can remaster this to 4k when you think about it the process is very different when it's you very, very when different. you do a film an actual live action film they can, it's a much, I don't want to say easy because it, it's a tedious process, but it's much easier because the film is there. Yeah. They just have to go back to the vault, pull it out and re-edit based on the film. And then they can give you a restored version based on the actual 
tell us any one with but and but with, like, with cartoons they don't have that well they, it's and the, and the techniques have changed over the years the the process of of 2d animation has changed greatly yeah. from you know from 89 you know from 89 till now and then even from 89 and back it changed greatly from the early days when you had like the early astro black and white astro boy cartoons and uh, i think you know johnny sockman's giant robot yes giant um, robot you know get a robo Guy you know King. you have all those ones that went from that to when this was released the techniques already had changed so much since then yeah and then from now from then well, till now 2d in itself has completely changed oh yeah so a remaster of this would be almost a completely it is a complete redo because the only thing It'd that be a complete redo yeah yeah but i i i don't know do we want to see this remade and you know from animation I don't. I, if, that, if I think that's why, honestly, I mean, the only step you can take with this is take it to live action, right? Well, and even by the, even the TV series that's or, coming yeah, out, or that, that's you know that's that's you know announced or rumored, is you can do that now. You can take the newer animation techniques mm-hmm. and do more, but that's when you go to okay. Well, what level are we going to take this? Or is it going to be the same level as the as the original film? And we're just going to, we're going to go through, and we're going to, you know, adapt the manga to a TV series, or are we going to try and change it to where it, to where they think that, they, where they think they have to fit it into today's, uh, I don't say climate, but today's, help me out here. Today's like a uh, uh, political landscape. Yeah. Just to fit into that, which I don't think you have to, I just think you should just take it and just make it and make it. Because it, it, like it's like we've said, I don't think I would want it remade. Yeah, that's the thing. I, if it, they did it's the TV so series, classic. That's what I, I would take the TV series than a complete remake film. Yeah, because the TV series you can actually go through the six volumes. You could do something different with. It. Okay, so I'm reading the reviews on the Blu-ray here, and according to some people, who actually know what they're talking about. So he says the digitally puts it in quotes remastered feature. Sadly, this is. Not digitally remastered. Yeah. It's, it's not. awful quality. It looks like somebody recorded a TV set with a handheld video camera, which that means they scanned it. All yeah. they did was scan a VHS. That's all, that's all they did. And that's what a lot of these re releases, that's what they do. People don't realize it's literally scanning a VHS version that was out there. Now you can scan if you're lucky and you could find a pristine film version that was used at a theater back in 1987. And then you find a way to scan that. Yes, you can do that, and the quality will be much better. But that's a that's a that's a challenge to even find a decent copy for animation. Yeah, animation. Well, I was going like to say you... too in this one that I know when they made this initially, when they uh, in production, they did the voice acting first, and then they did the animation to the voice acting. So to re. Redo this. I mean, literally, it would have to be completely redone. There's yeah. no way. Yeah, there'd be it. Well, it's it's a very awesome thing to think about. It's still impossible because that's the whole point. Is like what you were saying, Mike. Is you can't find a perfect copy of it now, and there's no way. No, and like that, that's and we talk about this a lot on my uh, Weird West radio show and the Spaghetti Western show because we talk a lot about remastered and restored versions. And if it doesn't say restored, 
and you're talking about a movie from 1970 or 1960, chances are it's scanned. So you need to look for the word that says restored because that means what happened was, and this is the case with many older films from the European market, and sometimes here in America, if you can get lucky, is they find a film, an actual film that was projected in a theater in the vault of a dead film buff. Usually an executive who had a copy because it was because it was promised to him because that was his back end deal because he was producer number 25. So he gets here. Here's the the reel that you can have for safekeeping. And then people forget about it because the gentleman dies. It's within the estate. And then they finally open up his vault, you know, 10 years after he's died. And they find all these pristine copies of film reels. Yep. That's how many of the time, many of the times that's how we get our, our true restorations. So unless some dude in, in Japan, some executive has a vault and he dies. And we, when we find a treasure trove of pristine film reels, we're just never going to get a true, yeah true, beautiful version of this movie. And that being said, I watched this on my big screen in my bedroom and it's still it's still gorgeous looking. It's just not flawless. Well, that's why. And again, that's why when they released the anniversary edition on DVD, when it was DVD. Mm-hmm. For, for me, when I got that and I watched it again, because I, 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 you know, had a fan sub copy, you know, yeah. for how for years. And when I picked that up. When we watched it, I was like, it was a step above the fan sub version. And oh, I was like, absolutely. And I, and I was kind of like, well, I guess this is it's as good like, as this, it gets. Yeah, well, yeah, it's as good as it's going to get. Like, I'm just happy that I have an, like, an official version of the film. Yeah. And it's something I, can, I was able to share with friends that had never seen. They were like, you know, you always talk about it. I always hear about it. Uh, people reference it. I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And it was it was fun to share. Well, also, in the, you... People have to understand that when Akira first came out, the big media was VHS. That was what it was made for. It wasn't made for like what Greg was saying, like Blu-ray or DVDs and Blu-rays. When it came out on DVD, that was an amazing achievement for that movie because it was made during a time when they weren't thinking about being like re-scanning and, you know, showing the true quote-unquote color of everything but i also think too that that was something that was never in people's minds back in the day yeah people back in that day people back in that day when everything like okay well like in the future are we gonna have like a better format for this because a lot of people thought that the format they had was the best Best we were gonna have you know vhs vhs went out over betamax people go fuck like we got the best version of what you know what this this medium so it can't get better than this and then dvd came out (laughs) The Blu-ray came out. And DVD, you know, was kind of a step up from VHS. And everybody's like, oh, shit. Well, actually, I should mention LaserDisc was the, <laughs> was, the was a precursor to DVD. But having, having, like, having like a LaserDisc was like, that, that just meant you're that much of a fucking douche ass. Like, you're the guy that buys, like, a Maserati or a Tesla. And you can't afford it, but you have it. And you're like, look what I'm driving. Yeah, but you're working two jobs. And you're probably also <laughs> sucking dick on the side. Fun. So nobody really gives a shit. Dude, oh, not during judge. not during Pride Month, dude. I didn't say anything. I was saying that the guy with the tie was earning money. Like I didn't say any. <laughs> I didn't say any. I didn't say any offensive things about LGBTQ. Like, Come here, like, Greg. The only way you can apologize. You sounded judgy. 
Yeah, as uh, we have to act out my hentai. I'm a dragon with 20 dicks. Come here. Oh, That's the only way you can you can uh, show you're sorry. <laughs> sorry. But uh, I'm glad you but uh, on a very strange note, I'm glad you brought up the whole laser disc thing because I think that's probably the closest thing during that time before DVDs and stuff. Before they did, the, they did, the wait, scanning they did put it out on Laserdisc. That is right. The, yeah, I think that's the closest you're going to get to perfection. Probably the reason why we have the the widescreen aspect ratio because obviously I mean, that's, that's the only benefit of buying the the newer version the anniversary version is is if you have an old dv dvd from the 90s late 90s or a vhs from the early 90s mid 90s then you probably have the the terrible bars on the side on your television <laughs> yeah. so at least at least we can say we do have a widescreen version but you gotta say mike definitely especially be, between me and you the ability to actually see this completely perfect would be a dream come true. Oh yeah, if if it's possible, listen, it's I'm telling possible. you now, if they, if they find a, a a beautiful version out there someplace and they do a scan, or let's say they do have a version out there, they probably do, but it's probably not cost effective because it is really expensive. And yeah. it, an example we can use, Dave, is something we talk about all the time is the remastering of old TV shows. Yeah. Like deep space nine and like, everything like what we talked about. They, they spent years redoing the seven seasons of star Trek, the next generation, and then gave up because they, it was so literally crazy. they gave up. They were yeah. going to do all the TV shows and they're like, fuck this. Because it is so hard. You're basically redoing post-production on an entire TV show from beginning to end. And you're having to dig through the archives and finding the right reels and putting them together. So it's quite a process to do these types of things. So they may have a, a beautiful version out there, which I'm, they probably do. But it, it's just it might not be cost effective. It might be not cost effective. And probably, again... It's either we have the, the the TV series that may or may not come out because of all this. Because it no, there's no more on whether it's in in production is what it says. So don't know how far they are on that. But then also too we have the ever fabled. Uh, I think lastly it was it was DiCaprio was trying to was pushing to get it made or or something. Yeah, and, yeah, for a while, yeah. You know, so and that was the last news we heard of it, and then went into production hell because everybody's going, oh they're whitewashing it, they're trying to whitewash it, and it's. And she's like, well, how about we just make them? If you want to make a live action, let's just make it. Well, that's why I, I, I totally agree with what Raina said is at this point, trying to come up with a perfect version of the original, it's better to actually see the live action, jump to live action and see a TV series. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's kind of the things where you don't want it to touch. You don't want to mess with it because then it ruins the me- almost ruins the memory and kind of I would say tarnishes the the legacy that it's set. Mm-hmm. So, so there is an update, Greg, uh, on the the live action film. Oh, is there? And I don't know if I am okay with this. So apparently, as of just a few months ago, sure. actually I take that back, May of last year. Oh, okay, Takiti Watiti was oh. officially announced oh, as the director <laughs> of Akira. Da 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 da. <laughs> How the fuck is is a comedy director? Are you lying? No, I, dude. If this if this is still in play, I'm gonna fucking riot. Actually, no, he's not lying, Reina. 
I just da- found. I just found. David, the- describe nice. the face that I made when he announced that, please. <laughs> it looked like someone shot your dog. <laughs> this is one of the most serious, dark tone, oh. dark themed films of all time. Akira, oh, absolutely. Oh, without a doubt. How Can do you? you and you're hiring you, you, So, how, I don't understand. I'll, I'll say my piece on this, and then, then we'll, we'll give our verdict on the on the film, which I think you know what it's going to be. But yeah, I don't. This is this is basically like how Avatar was, where M Night Shyamalan Ramadan um, said, I'm, like, "He goes, this is like that was his redemption film. That was his redemption film that he can do something else that's not within his little world of, of films." And he's and and I remember him saying, "Like I'm gonna do, I'm gonna respect the source material. I'm not, I'm gonna you know give the fans a film that they're gonna love." And then he just kind of well, that fuck him. I'm gonna make what I want, and it was shit. Well, his redemption was the rest of ours enslavement. Enslavement. <laughs> but I, I just, dude, it's, I it's, can't. Okay. It's flavor of the month. I fucking flavor can't. of month. I fucking can't. Well, I just you, fucking can't. Like I don't want. Uh, Taika Waititi dropped out of this out of Akira. He dropped okay. out of it um, when he did Thor: Love and Thunder. Oh, good. Thank God. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Go destroy that uh, movie some more. Yeah. Destroy the movie. Fuck, just leave. Leave it. Leave. Leave Akira alone, please. For the love of God, just just fucking leave it be. Just if if it happens, it happens. If the it doesn't, part, it doesn't. The That's tough fine. Part, I can't see a big name director tackling this. I really can't. Because the the director, whether it's a big name director or it's a it's a it's a an unknown Lars von Trier, they they have to. You that can't you, you can't shy away from the source material. You can't sit there and say, "Well, I'm going to take that and and you know do my own thing." No, you. This is one of those things where you have six volumes of material. That's enough. I don't fucking give a shit about your vision. You got your storyboards right there. You got like, everything ready to roll. I really don't fucking care. Like how you want to interpret this. You make another fucking film to do that. Yeah. Your student film should have done that it for you. It doesn't matter if it's that simple. They always make it so complicated. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the director, there is an ego of getting, if you get a big name director, like I've always heard people say Christopher Nolan would be the perfect director. Now everyone goes to Nolan though for everyone everything. Everyone goes now. to Nolan. But I'm like going, no, Nolan would give his own spin on this. And also Nolan has some massive pacing issues with all of his movies. And with so all of his pacing. That, that's, that's, that's why I'm so, whenever they announce a, uh, a live series or live film based off of an animated property, especially within anime, I'm very intrepid about it because th- either they go by the source material and they do great or they fuck it up. And mostly yeah. they fuck it up. The last one, the only one that I will stand by is Ghost in the Shell. I agree. But to wrap this all up, I'm going to go around and get everybody's verdict on the Rain Man scale, <laughs> starting with Mike. Uh, the Not the hentai scale? We're not no, no, we're not doing the hentai scale. Just the regular. Okay. That's what tentacles. Um, God damn it. I'm going to give this a, a 91%. It's a masterpiece. It still is a masterpiece. The amount of political subtext that the director writer put into this movie is so relevant not just in today's environment just you're dealing with things pertaining to humanity and because of that 
this is something that will probably be relatable all the time. It isn't soapboxy. It's just expressing and fleshing out how the world is. The animation is cutting edge. It's psychedelic as fuck. I had forgotten how psychedelic (laughs) it was. And the entire time, because I'm a movie, you know, a movie nut, the entire time I'm just thinking, okay, how can they do this? I mean, this has such a, such an amazing psychedelic flair to it. So yeah, 91%. I love it. And Raina, your take or your four. I'm going to give it a 90. It had action, gore, destruction from beginning to end that had me excited the whole film. I was just so happy watching this and how close it holds to today's events being that it's technically based in 2019 and here in 2020, you know, politically what we're all going through, what is going on in the world. It's just kind of ironic how that kind of played out. It just holds up really well. So that's going to be my score. Right. And David, Uh, my score on this one is a really strong 95. It's, it's a Hallmark classic. It, it's it's a Hallmark classic in my in my world. Next week on Hallmark classic films, Akira, Akira. Akira. <laughs> but like, and then following that, the Casey Anthony story. Even <laughs> even like re <laughs> wow, even like rewatching it, it amazes me that it's still the film still taps into this id that every single filmmaker wishes they can do tap into the id of the audience to make them uncomfortable, but to capture them, capture your audience and just, you're just mesmerized by it. Like Mike said, there's like a psychedelic element to it. The teddy bear scene, the the teddy bear scene with Tetsuo still gives me nightmares. That's fucking creepy. It is creepy (laughs) as hell. It still bugs me to this day. And I, as I said, I rewatched it last week and I'm like going, this, this scene still bothers me. Like, all the imagery there is just perfection and it it does something that a lot of filmmakers wish they can do. It's kind of like tapping into something that Akira Kurosawa once, once did with his films, tap into the human nature, tap into the human id to make your audience really engross themselves into your film to the point that I'm not uh, in the past. Me and you, Greg have talked about gatekeeping. Yeah. And I've always been against gatekeeping. Don't gatekeep because you got uh, you, you that that's unfair. But this film honestly makes me want to gatekeep yeah. so badly because it's kind of like, while I would love to see it remade, a part of me still is like going, no, it's that the, it tapped into the perfection. Well, that's it's the, that, the id. It's that feeling where you don't want to ruin it. You don't want to ruin it. Nothing's so. going to top it. What what can you possibly do to top this movie? Right. Well, to finish it out, I'm gonna agree. I'm gonna go with David. Uh, I'm gonna give it a 985. Uh, just for you know, one, it was one of the first huge animes that I saw as a kid. The animation in it to me is just beautiful. Uh, it's it's something that when I learned 2D animation, I, I tried to replicate and failed horribly. But it's always it, it stands the test of time for me, and so. With that, I think this is one film that should be treated with respect and oh, I can't. I'm trying to think of the word, but like it's borderline gatekeeping. Yeah, you, like, to, like, you want to see more of it, or you want to see them do something where it expands on what's already there. 
But then at the same time, the, the people have to be perfect because we've seen what happens when you have the same team working on a project that they've poured themselves into, hence Ghost and Shell 2045. Yeah. So with that, if you haven't seen Akira and you've listened to our, our show here and you've gone, man, what the like, fuck? What is you want to see what the film is about? It is on Funimation. It is on Hulu. It is on the streaming platforms. Go and watch it. You will see something that I don't, I haven't seen in a lot of anime in a long time. For Rain Man, Digital Network, for Mike, thank you for joining us today. Yeah. Raina, thank you again for being on the show. Arigato. And David, thank you as well. Thank you. And again, guys, I'm Gregory Darkside Holmes. Remember, you guys can find us on RainmanDigitalMedia.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Give us a listen. Give us a like. Follow us so you don't miss an episode. And we'll see you guys again. Have a great night. Or day. Uh, no!